This is Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, which is part of the Replicate Podcast Network. It is a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. Here is your host, Colin Wood. Today on the podcast, we are remembering Chris Swain. My name is Colin Wood. I'm the executive pastor at Long Hollow and the co-host of Making Disciples podcast with Robbie Gallaty. Uh, go back and listen, if you haven't already, to last week's episode where we start to talk about what happened about four weeks ago when we received a phone call that Chris had collapsed and been found unresponsive in his driveway. Uh, we talked about some fun things with Chris, and today we want to talk about lessons we learned from Chris's life and Chris's passing. Yes. Pastors, good to have you today. Yeah, good to have you as well. Uh, we introduced Colin last week for those who are wondering who is this Colin Wood in place of Chris Wayne. You're in the Chris Wayne seat, the I'm, coveted seat. I'm very hum humbled and honored to be in this seat. I've been practicing my... <laughs> All week. Yeah. And that was that, that was something Chris worked on. You know, he would sit in the shower and print out. I don't think he did. I don't, <laughs> I don't, think, think, he, he I don't think he did either. So um, if you haven't listened to last week's podcast, particularly the end, yeah, Colin uh, was talking about a clip he had heard from the final podcast Chris and I recorded for the, the season we had just finished. And it's worth a listen. Yeah. Uh, just about how Chris and I had no clue of what we were talking about was actually for me. It gave me chills to hear uh, the two of you talk about God using the instrument of suffering to bring us into a greater intimate relationship with him. Mm. I want us to talk about that today, but last week we kind of left off the story just of what happened with Chris. With We were going in to pray over Chris, anoint him with oil, believing that God was basically going to raise him from yeah. the dead because yeah. there was there was very little or no brain activity um, for all medical purposes he was no longer with us yeah so we went in there and uh, it was about a 30 minute prayer time um, and there was uh, we started with words then we uh, continued with tears and then it was weeping and kneeling and crying out to God and it was it was, a, it was a moment that we got to share. I think what happened, and I, I thought about this, Lord, why, why wouldn't you just have taken him at the mailbox when we found him? Mm -hmm. Why bring him back to life or bring him back to breathing again? Why put him on a ventilator? Why put him in a hospital for six days? And obviously, I'm not God, so I'm not attempting to be God. But the Lord showed me a couple little things. Number one is, when you and I and Russell walked out of that hospital room after 30 plus minutes of crying and weeping and calling out to God, which was emotionally taxing, mm -hmm. and we were spent to be welcomed by the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And we walked out, 100 plus people in our congregation stayed there in the pouring rain. Remember this? Mm -hmm. They had to get under the, the covering, the awning, the, the little drive-through area, because the rain was so bad. But they stayed there the entire hour. It took about an hour to go in and out. And uh, to be welcomed by the body of Christ, mm -hmm. man, was such a gift from God. And so we went home. We didn't know what would happen. For the next, again, like I said, for the next four or five days, uh, no good news, nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, no, no change. And I think that was the hardest part. 
Mm. We were expecting something, a hand movement, a twitch, an eye blink. And uh, it got to the point where the doctor said to bring Chris, to, to, to keep him alive, and even if he comes back, would not be the Chris you guys knew. So Thursday was the day uh, that we were going to officially let Chris, or at least his body, go be with the Lord. We felt like his soul had already gone to be with the Lord earlier when they found him, but uh, his physical body, and all of us got to go in there, Robert, you, me, and uh, tell him bye one last time. And um, when when he was brought to the ER or to the operating room for the final time, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a hospital. I've, I've never been in anything like this. I've asked some other pastors. They've never seen anything like this. But they actually would take him. Uh, he was an organ donor. So they actually, what they do is when a person's an organ donor in that situation, uh, they wheel him down to the operating room. And what happens is they announce it to the doctors and nurses. Everyone comes out where they are and lines the halls. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a military kind of line. And um, we all line the halls. And so friends and family, mom, dad, all of them are in, and staff members, you know, key staff members. The rest of our staff was in the parking lot praying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, key staff and friends were in the hallway. And I remember when he came down those, th- that elevator with the doctors and nurses and they started rolling, rolling him through the line. Here's what I thought. The Lord show me this is a picture of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hebrews 12. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Mm. let us run the race marked before us, Mm. enduring the suffering and the scorn and the shame of Christ. Um, And I thought, man, this is a picture of what Chris is going to experience in heaven. Mm -hmm. That all the witnesses around him who have gone before and have run the race are going to welcome this brother home and say, well done. Mm was so neat be- that because he was an organ donor, um, it, it happened very different. Like you said, it's more planned and organized uh, because they are lining up all around the country. These organ recipients who are, I, the thought I had was just as Chris's body is being wheeled into the operating room, these other people who have been praying and desperate for hope are being mm-hmm. wheeled into an operating room. And Chris was able to give life to these people, sight and um, life to folks who desperately, desperately needed. What a picture of the gospel, too. Yeah. I mean, through the death of Christ, through his death, others have life. And it's just a wonderful picture now of God using something so tragic as the death of a friend and giving life to five to seven, eight different people. So. Pastor, in the last um, in the last podcast you recorded with Chris, uh, you talked about God using suffering to bring us into a greater intimate relationship with Him. In fact, you went so far as to say it is His greatest instrument. Mm. Um, do you feel like God has used the suffering of the past few weeks, or how has God used that suffering to develop your relationship with Him? Yeah. You know, um, suffering, I like to say, is a megaphone from heaven Mm. to get our attention. The problem with me is, like some of you, um, I'm very hard-headed, and I, you know, I need a megaphone at times, you know, for the Lord to really get my attention. Um, I think what God does in suffering is um, 
it reminds us, particularly suffering and death, so let me just put Chris's situation. Two things happen when your life gets put on pause like that um, and someone dies unexpectedly. Number one is it is God's divine brake pads in a person's life to get them to listen. That's what death is. Death, death is a divine brake pad by God to say you're going to stop. Because think about it. When someone dies, I don't care where you are mm-hmm. and what you're doing, you stop. And you, you yeah. and here's what happens. When you stop, you have to come face to face with two things. Number one, death makes us or causes us to come in, in contact with our own mortality. Mm-hmm. We, we have to come face to face with the fact that we are all going to die. Mm-hmm. Now, we live like we're going to be here forever. Mm-hmm. But the reality is we're all going to die. And Chris reminded us at 47, perfect health. When your number is called and your time is up, it's over. Mm-hmm. And so the second thing what, what, what death does is death reminds us of the fact that eternity is long. Mm-hmm. So we have to think about eternity, mortality and eternity. One of the lessons Chris constantly taught was to make a person's life count. I mean, this was always what Chris was about. That's why he was so intentional. That's why he was so passionate. That's why he was so driven. Chris was always about making a person's life count. And so I would say, before we go into the break, I would say one of the things Chris always wanted me to do when I would finish a a, a teaching time on discipleship or finish a a sermon for a, a discipleship conference, I would let Chris look at it always. Hey, give me some feedback. He would always say, you think you can close with this illustration? You know, he's always wanting me to close with, and it was a great one. And the illustration was, if your life ended, or if you had three years left of your life, or three years left of your ministry, how differently would your ministry today be? Would you get caught up in frivolous conversations? Would you worry about your social media influence? Would you get concerned with criticism from people with keyboard courage around the country behind computers? No, you wouldn't do any of that. You wouldn't let any of that bother you because you'd be militant about leaving a lasting legacy, not only on the hearts and minds of your children, but on the lives of the people you pastor and lead. And so I just think it's interesting now. Chris is gone. And what we're seeing firsthand is the intentionality of a man who was militantly focused on discipling not only his kids, but his staff. I mean, a perfect example is Replicate. Chris mentored and invested in a man for two to three years, two years really. And now he's going to lead the ministry as if Chris was still here uh, in a sense. And so what a picture of a man who lived what he taught. Mm -hmm. After the break, let's talk more about some of those lessons that Chris taught us during his life that maybe we didn't even realize we were learning. But now as we think back, uh, I know for myself, I am learning more and more about how intentional Chris lived his life after the break. Are you struggling with the fatigue of ministry post-COVID? Have you experienced some fruit but hit a plateau in your life or even your church? Could you benefit from a group of like-minded leaders who can help you achieve your God-given potential? Being a church leader is more challenging today than it has ever been, and the pandemic hasn't made it any easier to lead. We now have a whole new set of problems to deal with as church leaders that will require new solutions. With this in mind, we developed the Replicate Collective. This is a close-knit group of church leaders who want to help you and your church unleash your God-given potential. Members of the collective will interact with premier church leaders 
men like Will Mancini, David Platt, Pete Scazzaro, and many others. Members of the collective create catalytic clarity for their church and personal lives. They participate in weekly huddles with like-minded church leaders, and you'll get personal coaching from me and the Replicate team. If you're interested in applying to join the collective or simply want to find out more, head over to replicatecollective.com, replicatecollective.com. We have limited spots, so you want to check it out today. And we're back. Still feels weird to say it that way, Pastor, but I'm going to do it uh, to honor Chris. We've been talking about the the week uh, leading up to Chris's passing, and we we started talking about some of the lessons that uh, we learned from Chris's life. But I just remembered as you were talking about us anointing Chris with oil, the irony (laughs) of that. Remember, Melissa said Chris would hate it if he knew what was going on right now why is that yeah because he was a germaphobe <laughs> he was the he was the worst germaphobe and i'm i don't really like germs either but chris took it to another level in fact chris is the one who taught us all what is the first step after entering a hotel room do you know what it is you find the television remote right you put it in the little plastic bag for ice <laughs> And you tie it tight. <laughs> and you hide your you hide your toothbrush anytime you leave the hotel yeah. room. Yeah. And then we found another interesting thing from Melissa. Anytime Chris left the hotel room, he hit his toothbrush because he felt like one of the uh, cleaning ladies or somebody. You just never know. He said, yeah. But here's the even funnier thing we found out. When Chris would go out of town, even though no one was going to enter his home, no one, he did what? What did he do? He would hide his pillow. He'd hide his pillow. <laughs> Just in case that rare opportunity, some burglar happens, you know, or somebody comes in. Because you never know. That's how meticulous he was. So here we are in the hospital room praying over Chris. Really intense, I mean, just overwhelming moment. Praying for your best friend, you know, as we're doing. And at the end, I just couldn't help but say it to him as I was rubbing his head. I was rubbing his hair, okay? So I was rubbing his head, and I said, Chris, (laughs) I said, you may have to come back for this, my friend. I said, this is the closest I've ever got to touching your head. And we had to laugh because we were about, we were crying, you know. Oh, my goodness. But, uh, yeah. yeah. We, I'm sure we all have idiosyncrasies like that. Oh, yeah. But, man, some of the things that I really appreciate about Chris, when I think back, uh, I think you mentioned it before the break, break was his intentionality. And it was, it, it crossed all areas of his life. He was very intentional about stupid stuff, like what kind of peanut butter to buy. But then he was very intentional about things that matter, like Mm. discipleship, making disciples of others. And we think about some of our staff. Uh, We think about Tony Pasley's son, that after Tony passed away, um, his son was taken under uh, Chris's wing. Chris discipled him Yes, for a couple of years after that, right? Yeah, and that was one of the hardest um, hugs at Chris's funeral hmm. was Tony Pasley, who passed away three years ago, son, who was discipled by Chris and invested in by Chris for the three years or two and a half years after Tony's passing, who now was at the funeral of losing his father years ago and now his kind of a father in the faith and we just I mean what do you tell the young man he's in his 20s early 20s and I just hugged him and we cried Mm -hmm. 
Um, I mean, you, there's nothing really to say at that point. But I just told him how proud I was of him and how proud Chris was would have been of him and how proud his dad would be of him, the man he's turned out to be. Yeah, so, he's now a police officer yeah. uh, here locally. Uh, you know, you and I have talked a lot about the type of dad uh, Chris was. And um, at times he would make us feel bad about the type of dad that we are. That's true. Uh, That's true. <laughs> <laughs> because he seemed like such a good dad and one that we would strive uh, to be. Chris has two children. Uh, Chris and Melissa have two children, boy and uh, a girl. What are some of the things you remember Chris doing with his kids or talking about being a parent that you thought, who is this guy? Yeah. Oh, man. You know, Chris Chris is probably the only guy I know on the planet who could disciple a 12 and an 8 and 9-year-old. Because, I, I, just full disclosure, I've tried to disciple my two boys on three occasions, and I have written them off as being the only two kids who are undisciplable. I mean, I'm just going to say it right now. No offense to my kids, but uh, they just don't listen to me, and, you know, they're they're... Yeah, they're doing a lot of things they're not supposed to do. and uh, But Chris had this ability. Uh, he was very winsome with his children. And obviously, I still disciple my kids now. It's not as formal, but it's more informal at night. But Chris had this ability to make it fun. He always was big on opening, uh, o having open lines of communication with his children. He believed that if his children could talk to him about anything, Mm -hmm. then they would talk to him when they get older about everything. Mm -hmm. and Not just the good things, but the bad things or the challenging things or the tempting things. And here's one of the cool things about Chris is what a gift from God. And you're about to read something from this or share something. What, what, what's cool about Chris was for the entire time leading up to his passing, which was about six months or maybe a year, he's worked on a book. Mm -hmm. I Here's the funny story about the backstory in this book. I didn't know he was thinking about this book. And I got convicted about a year ago, and I said, man, why don't you and I co-write a book on parenting? Not that I have it figured out, but obviously I'm learning some things and I feel like we could do it. He said, I'm already working on that. I said, great, let me help you. You write the book, let me, let's, let's get behind this thing. So he worked a year. His goal, this is crazy, was to finish the book for me to take on sabbatical. Think about how crazy, tell me this doesn't give you the chills. And the day he passes was the day before I was leaving on sabbatical and he finished the book. So here's what's cool about the Lord. We're gonna have Chris speaking to us about parenting and family discipleship long after he has passed. Yeah, Melissa, his wife told us uh, last week when she sent us uh, the, the first draft of the book that it wasn't due until September, but in true Chris fashion, overachiever fashion, he had already finished it long before and, and sent it in. You know, one of the things that, that Chris taught me um, was two things about parenting. One was creating moments. If you, if you remember, Chris was really intentional about uh, these patterns and rituals, not rituals, but these creating these memories markers, with his, markers with his children. In fact, uh, at a certain age, that he would take them on a, a on a dad trip where it was just him, him and the the child. Uh, him and his daughter got to go in April. I think it was at at ten years old when you turned yep, 10, ten. That's right. You got to go on a trip with dad, and then I remember uh, this summer at at camp, his son. 
um, went forward during one of the services where the invitation was about feeling a call to ministry. Oh, wow. And I remember watching Chris watch his son uh, go forward and then go to talk with the counselor. And I, I remember seeing the pride in his face mm. that God may be stirring up a call to ministry in his own son. That was really neat to watch. Mm. Uh, this, this isn't the final version of the book. Um, I don't even know what the final title will be. The working title is right in on their hearts. But one of the things that I highlighted as I was reading this weekend um, was something that, that I just want to, to leave us with uh, that Chris said. Uh, th- this is Chris's own words. He said, One of the greatest mistakes we make as parents is that we confuse connecting with a moment to connecting with our child. Mm. Moments are incredible, and they can be the tracks upon which connection runs, but connection is so much more than a space in time. We should, be, we should strive to create moments, but be wary that we aren't exchanging moments with connection. Let's look at how Jesus connected and see if we can emulate with our children. Chris always brought it back to Jesus. How did Jesus disciple? Mm. How did Jesus teach? I know I'll be a better dad because of the way I watch Chris father and disciple his own kids. Yeah, what a legacy. And um, he'll be greatly missed and is greatly missed now. But in true Chris fashion, um, if he were sitting here next to us, he would say, continue on, you know, continue making disciples. He was a man who gave his life to discipleship. Uh, One of the things he gave his life to and he was really proud of was the uh, Replicate Collective. In fact, if you've heard us talk about that, that is his kind of baby. And so we even asked the question, do we do we pause that? Do we put that on hold? And we felt like we needed to continue with that. So. I say that to say a lot of things that Chris started will continue long after uh, he has gone. So the question we'll leave you with is this. What kind of life are you living? Mm. Um, Is it a life that when um, your life is up and your time is called, is it going to end with you? Or are you planting seeds and making investments and leaving an impact on the hearts and lives of the men and women Mm children around you, um, I would just challenge you to think, what if you had three years left of ministry from today mm. or three years left of life? Let's mm-hmm. just say that. I mean, if, if it's my age, I have two years left, mm. you know, uh, I think if we live with the end in mind, with eternity in sight, I think it changes everything. So let's do that. And let's, uh, let's leave it all in the field as Chris would do mm-hmm. and, uh, do it for the glory of God. Amen. Such a, such a good, good challenge. Uh, next week, we start a, a new s- series of episodes that will include Chris Swain. Uh, Chris and Pastor recorded a series of interviews with men who have been very close to a revival move of God. And so we don't want you to miss the next few episodes. We understand that hearing Chris's voice on the podcast may be a little uh, different, but we felt like these these conversations, these interviews are so important to us understanding how God has moved in the past and how he desires to move in our lives today. Join us next week on the podcast.
Thank you for joining us for this episode. Take a moment to subscribe and share this podcast. You can receive more free resources to help you make disciples in your home, group, or church by clicking the link in the show notes or visiting our website at replicate.org.